listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 R. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the shortened week of uh, 13th to the 16th. What are we in March of March? This week, uh, what do we do? We talk to Bugman. Simon Hinkley came in to talk about little ants that help each other and have little mini hospitals and little mini operations on <laughs> each other's. All right, that sounds completely crazy. <laughs> I think you stretched that a bit, but it's great. We also um, we had Trauma Tuesday uh, where we talked about our lowlights for the week and also Nick Kappa was our Friday funny bugger and he's made his own festival. Oh, yes, what a festival. Mm. And we chatted to Garth Davis, who's the director of the new film Mary Magdalene, and I talked about going to the Werribee Zoo. Wow, what a week. Triple R, not for everyone. For anyone. You're tuned to Breakfasters. It is time for Trauma Tuesday, where we talk about our traumas for the week. Um, Big or small, whatever you've got, let us know. Bring out your traumas. Uh, Do you want to go first, Jeff? Uh, Sure. Um, As some of you may know, I have a new cat. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, She likes to eat chicken necks. Oh, yes. Apparently it's good for their teeth. Good for their teeth. And I've never had a, a, a pet that actually ate them before. Like it's one of those things that the vet always says, oh, you know, you go to the vet and they give you all this good advice that mm. you go home and you can never do any of it. Mm. Like chicken necks are always like that. You just put them there and the cat never ate them. But Ruby really, really likes them. Did you – how many would you put out? Like, did you just oh, you just put out one every oh, okay, and right. she just eats it and it's good for her teeth. Yes. But anyway, the other day um, – I noticed this strong smell <laughs> oh, Jesus in my study. And I thought, that smells like rotting meat. Oh. <laughs> does Ruby not like chicken necks as much as she thinks she does? <laughs> and, oh. But I just could not find it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, you know it's somewhere around about, but you just can't, you can't track it around, track yes. it. Yes. And so um, you're doing that thing where you're walking around sniffing Various oh, things trying God. to locate it. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like you don't want to sniff, but you need to sniff it yeah. closer yeah. to where the destination and is. And I just couldn't, I could not find it for an entire day. And it was just um, getting oh, worse and worse. And then I discovered it. You know where it was? It was in the vacuum cleaner. <gasps> oh, gross. How did you vacuum up a bloody chicken neck? Oh, I was, I was, well, it wasn't a whole chicken neck. That would have made like the worst noise when you no, vacuumed no, it no, up. No, just because she, she, because she chews them up, it was just a fragment of it but it still had some flesh Whoa. on it, I guess. So what did you do? Did you wash it out? You just had, yeah, I just I just had to empty the vacuum cleaner. Oh, and disgusting. But, uh, Does it still smell a bit? No, it's okay. No, residual smell? No. Trauma is resolved. The trauma is done. <laughs> I feel like Until that, that the next ma- chicken neck. Yeah. I feel like that was maybe more traumatic for you to listen to than it I was I think it was me. at this time of the day. I feel a bit sick in my stomach. <laughs> uh, trauma Tuesday. All right, this is just a little thing that happened on the weekend. Mm-hmm. I think there's. I think today is a literal Trauma Tuesday for a lot of people because yes. Golden Plains was rather large, as you can hear by my voice. <laughs> Um, and uh, it was a bit traumatic waking up this morning. But other than that, I there was a moment in the Supernatural Amphitheatre on the weekend, which is in between songs mm-hmm. and, sorry, in between acts. It was on Sunday and Steve Cross, Trebalas as all know well, was playing the interstitial. Oh, yes. He was playing the interstitial DJ set, which is just the music that goes on between bands. And it was, really, it was early in the morning on the Sunday. I don't even know if I had my coffee yet. It was just... Everything was okay. And I was walking through the Supernatural Amphitheatre kind of past the stage 
with my friend Kylie and I just left Jez. She was sitting in the amphitheatre with mm-hmm. Kath and when I was just in front of the stage, this song came on and it started going dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know what it was? It's our bloody theme The Breakfast oh, theme no. music. And I had oh, no. the most Pavlovian response oh, no. to that. I, I nearly had a panic attack. It took me a while to work out why my body was responding the way it was. <laughs> quick, quick, quick. I kind of grabbed Kylie. Yeah, and I was like, something's going Like, I have to do something. I don't know what it is. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's our freaking Breakfast song. And I don't know if he even knew. I don't know if Steve knows that's our song. He played it at the start of the end of the show. He probably saw you yeah. on fast. Or he saw me, but the timing was unbelievable and I had such a panic attack. Like oh my, my body didn't oh know how to... No. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to hear that music ever again. <laughs> I was up, out of my seat. Did you jump up? Yeah. jumped out of my seat. was like, oh, oh, and then looking for you going, yeah. oh. What are we doing? Sitting down and then, oh, I can't handle it. Anyway. I was like, walk, Kylie, I need to walk faster. <laughs> I was so anxious. That but anyway. very traumatic. I reckon that was the most traumatic because it was quite a good weekend, so I think it was probably the most the most traumatic thing that happened other yeah. than having to get up this morning. There you go. That's a good one, though. Oh, thanks, um, You've heard this story because I told you on the way, but um, I had a little afternoon nap on Friday afternoon and uh, uh, Kath was home as well, so we were both having a lovely afternoon nap. Nice. And then... Um, I woke up and I um, I saw a, there was a big spider on the wall, and so and Kath was still sleeping. I'm like I'm waking her up, going, Kath, get the you need to get the spider, get the spider, get the spider, and she's like barely getting up, and I'm like get it, get it, and then she jumps up out of bed, and she's looking around. She goes, Where did you say? Where is it? Where is it? And then I went, Oh, <laughs> actually, I think that might have just been in my dream. <laughs> Do you know why I find this so funny? Andrew and I have had this exact same thing happen to me. Where I was scre- and halfway through the screaming, I went, "I'm so sorry. I've dreamt like I've dreamt this. There is no spider in the bed. Oh, it's so no. weird, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because I and because I saw it on my th- and I immediately rolled over. Yeah, and went, "Well, I'm not going to look at the spider again. So I'm not going to. So the whole time I'm waking her up and her getting out of bed." I'm like, I can't turn. And when she's looking for it behind me and she goes, where did you say it was? And I'm like, on the wall. Oh. Is she? An- <laughs> oh, I know I'm awake now. Yeah, I went, oh, maybe just in my dreams. Is she an easy sleeper? Was she no. able to get back to sleep? Or was it one of those things no, where you, you just turn around and go back to sleep and she's bolt awake for the rest of the... No, because I started snoring about it. She goes, Kath was telling me this story and she goes, two seconds later... <laughs> She got so annoyed because it took her forever to get to sleep because I was snoring. <laughs> nice work. Yeah. Uh, can I also say another traumatic thing that happened on the weekend? I'm only saying this mm. to remind me because of Kath. Is Kath not not driving in the usual directions that most people drive in? <laughs> oh, so special Kath, Kath and Jess picked me up and dropped me home and she puts in the destination. I just know where Meredith is, so I'll just drive the usual way. Mm. She puts in the destination to see which way Google's telling her has the least amount of traffic mm-hmm. and it is... They were two of the most stressful drives of my life. <laughs> I noticed that. I had to just let myself go because... Yes, you, I, wouldn't, you wouldn't have liked that very I, much. I know that Kat's like a, a, a logical person, but we went some really whack way to Meredith. Yeah, we got off the freeway. We didn't get stuck in traffic there though, was did gridlock. we? Yeah, but we, I've never, we went through towns around mountains. No, I, I don't even know beautiful. how we... I don't think we're ever going to get there. It's, it's beautiful scenery, yeah. yeah. But thanks for And that. we got there the same amount of time without the traffic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, to be fair, it was true, but it was I had to I had the to way, trust Kath. The way back though, that was a there was unnecessary turns. There happening. was unnecessary turns. So, so it my it turns out my my terror <laughs> was 
justified, I think. Three Triple R. You're tuned to Triple R. This show is called Breakfasters with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Mary Magdalene is a new film starring Rooney Mara and Joaquin Phoenix. It's going to be in cinemas from Thursday the 22nd of March all over the place. But to tell us about it right now, we're joined by director Garth Davis. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you so much. This is a story that is, we might say, fairly well known. Some might even call it the greatest story ever told. What made you decide to do a fresh version of the Mary Magdalene story? Well, what I realised, it was the greatest story never told in some ways. Um, Look, I mean, I've always loved biblical movies um, growing up, but I'm not religious in any way. But when I read this uh, script, it was brought to me, um, I just fell completely in love with it because it made sense to me. It was like more of a spiritual story. And then I realised that the Mary that we've all grown up to understand as the fallen woman, the prostitute, was uh, not in this version. And um, this is a a film that really um, celebrates her as an apostle and as a spiritual figure and not some sort of sexual figure. So your film does challenge many of the conventional assumptions about Mary Magdalene, not just about her sexuality, but also about her importance in, in, in the gospel and the Jesus story. What does the Bible actually tell, her, tell us about her? What do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, I mean, we've always seen her as a fallen woman, as a prostitute, but in reality, she, um, you know, she was one of the, well, they argue one of the closest persons to Jesus and through uh, the the special relationship that they had together, they were unable to, they were able to kind of unearth a great spiritual truth. And that is that the kingdom is within us. It's not outside of us. And that through unconditional love, you know, we can make the world an interesting place. So it's um, pretty fascinating um, take on it. There's so many kind of um, controversial ideas Ideas around Mary Magdalene and different various different Christian religions have kind of shut the door on her. Has there been any response from anyone? Any controversial responses from any the church at all, or has it been pretty pretty fine? Uh, look, in general, uh, it's been a very good response. Yeah. Uh, in in some ways, it's a relief. I think a lot of women in the church just find um, find it very validating. Yeah. Finally, um, I remember I, I met a nun in Israel while I was researching, and she said, "You better not make her the prostitute." She oh, got really wow. she she put me up against the wall. And said, "You better not make her a prostitute." <laughs> um, but then, obviously, there's the conservative side of things yeah. that um, you know we do ruffle a few feathers, but you know we have to do that occasionally. It's interesting you say that you're you're not religious at all. Um, so, what you know, other than you know the the story of it, was there anything else that drew you? to the actual story? Like, did you want that story to be told? Well, I mean, for me, it was a story that was inspiring related to modern day. In fact, I had Malala in my mind quite a lot. Right. You know, and uh, her as a figure for me was like a mirror towards Mary Magdalene, like the way that she forgave the Taliban for what they did to her and also said, thank you, Dad, for treating me as a person, not as a woman. And I thought there's something very magical about that and very progressive that I saw in this story. Yeah. The obvious challenges for directors in trying to portray the ancient world. I mean, I think you've the Mel Gibson um, mm-hmm. Temptation film where has goes for a kind of literalism down to the actors speaking in ancient Arabic, I, th- I, I think. You don't do that, though. Yours is in some ways quite a, a modern telling of the story, although set in the in obviously this ancient world. How conscious were you of that tension between making the past foreign but also making it familiar? Well, I mean, one of the things that um, irritates me about the movies made before us is that you're just not let in. It feels like you're being told a story, you're being preached to. And 
I just thought that the, the spiritual messages of, of this history um, I thought should be very relatable. So I thought it was a great opportunity to make it very human and like get under the skin of the characters and really have that experience. And ultimately the message of the film is a very human message. So I wanted the people to kind of relate to that. But yeah, it's challenging. Um, so that accessibility was really important to me. It wasn't so much we're doing a, you know, a documentary where we're doing something else. How do you get actors to prepare for roles like Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Like there's some really famous Jesus performance, Willem Dafoe, The Temptation of Christ, uh, can Phoenix plays Jesus in this film. What do you say to them? Go and, you know, practice being one of the most famous <laughs> people in the world. Well, I mean, it's a very sobering situation for them. Yeah. You know, to, like, they feel the responsibility. So, I mean, we all do very deep work and try and make sure that we're heading in the same direction together. And you're constantly developing and learning. Um, uh, I mean, Joaquin had a particular angle on playing Jesus, which obviously is that's why I went to him because I thought he could bring that, um, you know, that you really see the struggle between flesh and spirit. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think he brings into life and everything's brought with such compassion despite where he goes, you know. So, um, and I think he's just very special. It's a very physical playing of Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you really see the gift and the burden. And also they risk their lives, are on the road. Um, it wasn't, um, he wasn't always high and mighty and, and comfortable. I mean, he was really struggling with his gift. And at times we saw great beauty and and compassion and love and then other times we saw his fear, you know, when he was asked to do things that he was really afraid of. You talked, um, you mentioned that you went to Israel to do some research. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, producers myself and also uh, Rooney and Joaquin, we all went to Israel. And what was really interesting is that where Mary comes from, the Sea of Galilee and Magdala, some guy was building a hotel and he stumbled across Magdala in the ground archaeologically. And it was only six months before we arrived it had been discovered. So we had access to that. And I was walking around the streets of Magdala and imagining, you know, it was like a great fishing market. So that would have kept all the fish alive in the harbour. It was compelling. And then they had this little synagogue that was still there. And it was so moving for me to see the mosaics were still there. Some of the frescoes were still existent. So that was amazing. And then we tracked all the way up to Jerusalem and, um, you know, just constantly absorbing where Mary would have been, what, what it would have been like. You say you weren't raised religiously, but when you talk about this, I feel like making a film like this would make shift something in you maybe spiritually. Did you did anything change for you in making this film? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely a spiritual person. Yeah. Um, I've always been fascinated in different, you know, characters of history. And I suppose for me this is the first time I've been able to really look at Jesus' message yeah. With an open mind. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't, the way it's been presented to me in the past pushes me away. Mm. Where this, for me, it, it's, it, it kind of almost embraces lots of other faiths. Yeah. You know, so um, I don't know. I just think even if you're not religious, this is something that you could enjoy, you know, like you could really have that experience and see the spiritual side of it. Uh, the landscape in the film is absolutely exquisite. It's a very beautiful film to look at. How did you go about finding um, locations in which to shoot this story? Well, from Israel, I had a lot of um, images um, and uh, we did a lot of research about what it would have been like back then. And there was a lot of vegetation. It wasn't all desert. So I think the desert that we've been presented with wasn't necessarily accurate. So I went around three countries. We went to Spain, Malta and Italy and... Um, Italy uh, was the was the one. Unfortunately, I mean, it's a terrible place to be. Uh, 
So, so yeah, your we, job sounds so hard. <laughs> I had to go to Spain, <laughs> go to Malta. I know, it was so good just having uh, an Italian meal every day. That oh was really God. good. Um, your last film, Line, had huge success. Do you, how do you, I don't know, how do you back that up and keep going? Do you feel like now you've just reached your pinnacle and nothing else matters? <laughs> Oh, geez, I don't know. It's um, look for me. I just, I, I just do work that I feel connected to, and I just try and do it with as much heart and passion as I can, and that's all I can do. The world works out the rest. Yeah, you don't know how you're going to be accepted or what people like, and um, that's that's a bit of a weird roller coaster ride. That one. Uh, Second album, hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yours is a very feminist take on the mm-hmm. New Testament. What do you think Mary Magdalene has to say to the Me Too generation? Well, I, I think have the courage to follow what your calling is, to 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 vocalise and speak up about what you feel, and 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 um, you know make sure you you make that path for yourself. I mean, what was interesting in this is that you noticed that women it was much more difficult for women to follow their spiritual calling in that kind of patriarchal society, and you really get the sense because this whole film is from the woman's point of view, but it also just shows that. Um, women are very important to the to the larger story and we, we need to balance it out. It's been way too imbalanced. All right, um, you've just done a film about Jesus. What are your... <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you follow it's that up? It's about Mary. Oh. Don't make yeah. everything about Jesus. See, it's, it's still going on. <laughs> how do you follow that up? What's your next um, project? Well, I'm wondering if there's going to be another Dumb Dumber. I might um, <laughs> get into that. Uh, maybe do. <laughs> Something really left of centre. <laughs> okay, uh, the film is Mary Magdalene. It's, as I said, it's opening on the 22nd of March. That's a Thursday. But there's going to be a Q&A session tonight at the Nova and another one tomorrow at the Palace. That's Thursday at the Palace. Thursday at the yeah, Palace. My, yeah. my bad. You can come and catch our guest, Garth Davis, Director of Mary Magdalene. Thanks so much for coming. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you. Three. Triple. You're listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Uh, Jeff, yesterday we started talking about your trip to the Werribee Zoo. Uh, yes. With, because you went on a little tour with our very own Laura Dunneman, our Friday funny bugger. Um, you had a little bit of a chat about it, but there was more to say. <laughs> so much more to say. Uh, well, I don't know what there was, but I'll, I'll say it all again anyway. I mean, I, I'm a big fan <laughs> of animals. A big fan of Laura Dunneman. And when I discovered that Laura Dunneman worked with animals in Werribee, I thought I have to go. Yep. But it took ages to organise. I don't know, Werribee just seems miles away. This is so close to me in Coburg. Really? It's yeah, right. the bridge. It? Yeah. 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 But uh, you know what I mean? It's sort of psychologically, it seems like it's definitely a big does. expedition. I think it's, it's a thing that you have to drive your car to. Yeah. Yes. Like it's not, you just jump on the tram and duck and, out to And Werribee. I reckon as a kid, whenever you went to Werribee, it felt like a million miles away because it was part of a longer yeah, trip. Yeah, you have to go over the bridge. And, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was. Um, it was lovely. I, I, I chatted her and she said, you know, let me know when you come in because Steph was down and I'll give you, the, you know, I'll give you the special treatment, take you around to see all of the animals. And so when we got there, um, she drives, she's the she's a tour guide on one of their safaris because mm. it's an open park. For people who haven't been, it's an open park zoo, open range zoo. That's what, yeah. free range zoo. Open range, yeah. So rather than going around like from cage to cage, although you can do that a bit too, the main thing is just these enormous fields really where yeah. the animals are kind of roaming around like they're on the savannas of Africa. 
And so in order to go and see them, you've got to get on this kind of safari... Train. Train, <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was the first surprise when Laura turned up driving this damn thing. It was like one of those kind of mad maxi road trains with about five really? different... Yeah there's, like, there's, yeah, there's about four or five carriages that, you know, ah. probably have a, a school on each one. Wow. You know? Yeah. But anyway, she turned up and she just, like, disgorged her first bunch of passengers so her thing was empty and she pulled up for us to get on yeah. so we got in the front and then we drove around the corner where everyone else was waiting and so we got to welcome everyone else uh, like, like we were part of Did you wave to everyone? <laughs> we did, give we them the them, royal Come wave. on in, join our <laughs> join tour, which meant that we were sitting like directly behind Laura the entire time. Now it's this kind of thing, when I went to see her show at the comedy festival, I was in, ended up in the oh, very the front, front row. row. Yeah. It was kind of a bit like that. Oh, wow. So when she was going around like doing... Were you worried about audience participation? <laughs> I totally was. <laughs> no, I totally was because when she'd go around and she'd tell like, I mean, she'd say something, you know, about the animals or like she'd tell you a little fact and I'd be thinking the whole time, people here aren't listening. And then, and then we were making sure that we would laugh at the right bits or uh. clap enthusiastically. So we were like the... People Suck would up listen. children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, Miss Dunham. Oh, that's but, awesome. Um, it was so it was so much it was so much fun. Um How partic- close do you get to the animals? Which well, sort of depends. Like the rhinos were just kind of lying on their sides. I mean I looked like they were a bit dead, but I don't suppose they were. I suppose yeah, they were having no, a they rest. <laughs> That'd be a whole other kind of ride. <laughs> <laughs> but the giraffes came right up to us and stuck their heads kind of over oh, the thing. Really? And like giraffes are kind of the most cliched zoo animal, yeah? Like it's kind of like when you think of a zoo when you're a kid, you think of giraffes and elephants and stuff. Mm. But, God, they're strange looking things. They're extraordinary, yeah. aren't they, up close? Yeah, it's just like they're sort of designed by some child who doesn't really know what totally. an animal is. <laughs> totally. It's like, yes. oh, yeah, what's it need? A longer neck. <laughs> um, and then they try and bend over and they can't kind yeah. of reach down. They have to stick their, their, legs, their, out. their, their legs out. So... Um, they, they even walk funny as well. Yeah, like they, they have do. the, you know. Like the unco kid at school yeah. whose knees go together. Yeah, <laughs> totally like that. Although I keep thinking the whole time she was, because she's very good, you know, she's giving, she's got all these facts and figures mm. about the animals. And then as you go past, she'll tell you, you go past some gazelle and she tells you that it can run at 100 kilometres an hour. Ooh. What's a gazelle? I thought a gazelle was a bird. No, nah, it's like a. Deary. Like a, yeah, oh, yeah. Ah, oh, gazelle, right. But yeah. then I just kept thinking, well, I'd like to see it run. Yeah. But it wouldn't. Did you clap your hands or something? <laughs> well, I keep make it can we, you know, because you're not. Get a bit closer and slap <laughs> it on the ass. <laughs> make it run to see whether it could go at 100 kilometers now. But that's apparently not the spirit of the zoos. No. Might have save that for a Did safari you... tour in South Africa. <laughs> Did you have a favorite animal as you were driving around? Um, I like the hippos. Oh, yeah, did oh. she take you to the – did you go to the hippo talk? No, we didn't go to the hippo talk, but we went to – they were in some wallow and they were splashing around in How the, close could you get to them? Uh, you could get – we're pretty close to, to, to the hippos and they're kind of – again, they're very strange-looking animals. They're like sort of enormous pigs or something. Mm. Yeah. But, um, but actually my favourite one of the whole – of the whole two – of the whole Werribee Zoo wasn't when we were doing the safari thing. Once that um, – Finished, we were just wandering around the zoo and we came up across this woman who was doing like maintenance or something on the on the reptiles. Oh, cool. So, so she had this enormous tortoise out and she was weighing it, 
right? And the way she had to weigh it was she had to like get it up on this scale with its legs sort of hanging over the side. So it was like thinking it was swimming yeah. but its legs weren't going anywhere. Yeah. And then she weighed it and then when she was putting it down she was trying to feed it and like putting these like little bits of corn next to its mouth. But it was kind of like it had... It was so lazy that it would only chew if the corn was put right in its mouth. And you sort of got... It was like this incredibly spoiled child. You yeah, know, you right. know what I mean? Like it was too much effort for it to even turn its mouth slightly. Oh. So it, or was it sick maybe? No, I think it was just lazy. And then next to it... What, it, it <laughs> Sorry, based on based on what? <laughs> on your, just on your observations. Well, yes, and next to it was this enormous python. Like it was like I don't know, four meters long mm. or, or or something. And she had it out because it was a hot day. She had it out on a rock, right, yep. all stretched out in oh, fun. in the sun. But she was saying that. Um, it Why didn't ne- it slither off? Well, here was the thing because it was so fat. And oh. it was so lazy that she said that um, they're trying to design a snake gym to give it exercise. Oh. Sally was yeah, Sally was telling us that last year because apparently, like the snakes are notoriously lazy. It only gets fed once a month, mm. and when it's not fed, it just lies there. Lies there. Yeah. So it was on this rock, right in the sun, and then it moved slightly. And then it just slid and fell completely off the rock and flapped on the ground. I was thinking, you are the lamest snake I've ever seen. You're so fat and lazy that you can't even hold yourself up. You off a rock. (laughs) I was thinking, if I was a snake, that would be the snake that I would be. Yeah, me too. Three, triple, R. Time to talk feature creatures here on Breakfasters, and this week we're joined by Simon Hinckley from from the Melbourne Museum. How are you going, Simon? I'm good, thanks, Jeff. What's happening in the world of bugs? Well, this one uh, was an easy one for me because uh, I didn't have to think about it. A couple of people said this was really interesting. It was in the news and said I should talk about it. So um, thank you to Jeremy and Sarah for their their thoughts. So it's a, a species called the Matabili ant, uh, Megapona annalis, which is found in sub-Saharan Africa. And it's been found to be the only non-human species that uh, will actually care for its injured. And I was thinking, that really sort of shocked me because I was thinking, oh, there's got to be heaps. And then I thought about it and I'm like... Well, no, actually, I couldn't actually think of anything that looks after oh. its injured. So when you think about, you know, if a lion jumps on an antelope and the antelope gets away, the other antelopes don't come around and go, oh, let us help you with that. You know, we'll all get together and fix that. So you're either you heal yourself or you die. So this, this ant species is um, uh, an exclusive termite feeder. So they basically find termite colonies and they'll launch an attack. They'll go out as a raiding party. And there's two types of ants. There's the majors and minors. And so the majors will break through the soil into the, the colony and the minors rush in and grab a whole lot of termites for, for the ants to feed on back in the colony. The termite soldiers have some pretty impressive mandibles and their job is to defend the net. So they're snipping off legs, they're snipping off antennae, they're latching onto things. So it's a bit of a bloodbath. And this goes on for a couple of minutes. And then at the end, you've got a whole pile of injured ants. Some of them have still got termites attached, they're missing limbs and that sort of thing. And what the ants then do is they have a triage system. So they basically come and investigate the injured ants. And what the injured have to do is, if you're horribly injured, so if you're thrashing around on the ground, you're left for dead. 
if you're in a, a position where you've maybe got a termite stuck on your head, you've lost a leg or two, and you can get yourself into a, a sort of resting or seated position and you release a pheromone, the workers will come up and investigate and go, you're probably going to be okay and they'll take you back to the, to the nest. And the reason why they need to take you back to the nest is you can imagine if you were a six-legged ant and you're now a four-legged ant and you're trying to get your way back to the colony, any spider that's waiting is not going to attack 500 ants, but a four-legged ant walking back by itself is going to get taken pretty quickly. Mm. So the, the majors take these uh, injured workers back to the nest and then they then have been observed actually caring for them in, in the sense of spending time at the injury sites. So whether or not they're cleaning or there's some sort of antimicrobial in the saliva is still up for debate, but basically... If the injured ants are not taken back to the colony, 20% survival rate. If the ants are taken back into the colony and cared for, it's a 90% survival rate. So there's something wow. in that action that the ants are, are doing to each other that has a, an incredible ability to rehabilitate them. Can I That's ask a silly amazing. question? Yes. Um, Ants' legs don't grow back, do they? No. Okay. So that's actually a really good question because um, what they found is that these ants, when they lose, so you go from six legs to four legs and obviously your brain can't just switch from this is now how I work on walk on four legs. So they're stumbling and falling. But they found that getting them back to the colony and caring for them, within a day, their speed has increased by 30% to the point where they're nearly back to a six-legged ant. So they have the ability to go, this is now how you walk with four legs. What are they doing to them? Physio, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but what's actually... What's, One step at a time. <laughs> what's a bit rough for the ants is, um, so when you get your legs and your antennae nipped off and you, you get healed and you survive, you don't then get to retire. They found that the, the raiding colonies that go out, about 20% of those have pre-existing injuries. So you get taken back, you get healed, and then you're back in the game. So you're out for another raid. Get in there, soldier. So it's a, it's a pretty tough life, yeah. <laughs> so terrible. A cynical interpretation would be less that they're caring for each other and more that they want some more cannon fodder to send out against the termites. Jeff, you've really soiled this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was saying to these other guys, we're going to have a story about some bugs that are nice that aren't that aren't hideous, all the worms that do disgusting things. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, the word empathy. It's uh, yes. <laughs> let's let's pretend that there's a degree of care. Some of the articles have said they care. They gently hold the legs and ah. gently care for each other. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But yes, basically, they found that. Um, in doing this, in having this action of uh, caring for the individuals and increasing the survival rate, the colony is about thirty percent larger than it would be. So it's so not. That's a, it's, why they do it. It's a survival thing. Yeah. So there's not a lot of um, rapid reproduction. So there's a termites, a crazy termite species in Africa that lays, the queen lays an egg every two seconds. Oh. So she's she, she's producing <laughs> forty three thousand eggs a now day. Now we back to yeah. <laughs> So if you like termites, 43,000 eggs a day, you don't need to worry about a few workers that fall on the way. But for a species that doesn't produce rapid turnover, you need everyone you can get. And so I guess um, I was wondering why there's only one species they found so far yes. out of 900,000 yeah. insects that actually has developed this. So whether or not now people, researchers will go back and go, well, hang on, if that's doing it, well, now we know what to look for, let's see what else is doing it. But I guess when you think about everything that needs to come into play. So you need to be a species that has relatively slow reproduction to make it worthwhile. You need to be uh, a species that hunts in groups. If you're a solitary forager and you go out and get your legs snipped off and there's no one to take you back, well, that was not a good strategy. So you've got to be uh, a pack hunter and you've also got to attack or you've got to feed on something that can injure you. If you grow fungus, if you farm aphids, they're not going to rip your legs off. So there's mm. no point having to develop that strategy there. So there's a whole lot of things that have to come into play before you develop this behaviour. But it is... Um, 
it is amazing that they've managed to have this triage system and then like a care system back in the colony that really does this amazing job of uh, increasing survival rate and the size of the colony. When you talk about that triage system, mm. um, do, do, do you reckon the ants, are the, they kind of... Um, have a little hospital? Is that what you're thinking? No, oh. <laughs> no, 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 kind of... Like if, you know, they said they'll ignore the ones that are about to die. Mm. Do you think the ones that are on the precipice are kind of like going, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I am fine. I only have one leg left, but I am fine. I, I really I really like your thinking because they have found that there are some who are not injured who get carried back. And that's where I was thinking that's where I could come in. So either ah. their injuries are too minor to be noticed by the human eye or it might be that at the end of the raiding colony you want to get back as a group. So if you've been sort of messing around in the termite colony and you run out at the last second, a major might go, oh, well, hang on. Um, let's just, we need to get out of here and pick you up and carry you back. Yeah. So I quite like the strategy of you're not actually injured, but yeah. if you leave yourself to, to the back of the pack, you actually get picked up and taken back. So oh, I know right be. That sure. means that you have spent more time in the termite colony risking getting your legs cut off. So it's, you know, you've got to balance the risk there. But I do like the idea of saying, no, I'm yeah. okay waving with your one leg left yeah. um, while you've got a termite stuck on your head. But also the idea of you're not really injured, you're still going to carry back. Cool. Generally, like, do insects survive injuries? Like, do you, in the wild, do you find, like, spiders that have only got six legs instead of eight? Yeah, certainly it varies amongst the species, but um, spiders can, uh, things like yabbies can, can regenerate lost legs, uh, spiders can as well. The ants don't, um, but so, yeah, if you are in sub-Saharan sub Africa and you get down at ground level, you'll see four- and five-legged ants heading out to attack the termite colonies, but a lot of invertebrate species can regenerate a limb. But don't, don't go cutting worms in half, they don't grow back. Yeah. Oh, it's a myth, is it? Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Poor worm. Right. Yeah. Well, that was, there's my afternoon ruined. Thank you very much, Simon Hinckley. We Thanks. will see you again soon. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. Friday funny bugger here on Breakfast. We weren't sure whether he's going to turn up, but here he is. No, Mr. that was Cap. just you. <laughs> Best become your new intro. I don't know how long it's going to take you to shake that. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah shake it. I, I get my mum to ring me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mum calls me. She's like, it's the only time I get to talk to you. <laughs> I, but I, I'm so crap because, yeah, I, I, try, I try to ring my mum a lot and my nan, but the... Um, but then I re- sometimes I realise, oh, no, it's been six days. <laughs> and so I just send my mum a text message last night going, hey, mum, how are you? Uh, can you wake me up in the morning? <laughs> and then to not hear from your son for five days and then just get that is highly disrespectful. She sent me a photo of her giving me the bird. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was like, all right, you win. And then she rings me and then she wants a D&M this morning. I'm like, not now, mum. <laughs> I don't even want to go into the radio. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that no, it was it, it's fine. So now I've been waking up, but yeah, I had, le- had at least two to three people on standby to call me. Great. Why is your mum up so early? Is she up early all the time? Yeah, she's she's uh, old. <laughs> they all get up early. <laughs> it's not a problem for them. You never sleep in when you're old. Yeah. No, uh, no, no, she's not old. She's not old. Um, yeah, but she works. 
Even when you live, because they live on a farm, mm. when you're on a farm, you just get up early. Yeah. Like you just get up early, feed the chooks or something or or whatever. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you guys? How did you guys feel going to Golden Plains? Did you guys? Oh yeah, had a great time. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Huge. I was like, I went to uh, Day on the Green. Yes, it was so. Yeah, it was so awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, because I was, I thought, oh yeah, it's going to be. I'd heard mixed responses. Uh-huh. I'd heard. I'd heard that about like, Golden Plains or no, no about Day on the Green. Oh right, yeah. I, yeah. I heard it was like it's pretty chilled out festival, pretty family oriented, and then I also heard, man, it is the loosest time ever. <laughs> picture, picture a thousand mums and dads who only get one night off a year <laughs> on the wines. There is yeah on the wines yeah yeah, and I thought oh like. Because I don't know what festivals I like now. I, I, I like I like going to the big ones, the big mm. camp ones, camp yeah. over ones. And then I went to Woodford and, you know, there's a lot of families there and stuff and I was like, oh, I really like this. But then it got to like 12 and I'm like, time to get some weird stuff into me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get weird. And I was like, oh, no, there's too many pramps. There's too many. <laughs> there's too many, too much crazy crap going on. Um, and and then and then I, I loved it in the green. It was so awesome. But then I felt like I felt uh, you know I was like everyone jumped on the bus around ten to ten, and I was like oh, like it's the first time I felt kind of oh maybe maybe I do have a few young years <laughs> left in me. You know they get really loose. And then my friends and I we went because you know when I don't know like I'm thirty five mm. and you kind of um, by then you've kind of whittled down your your good friends. And you're all kind of in the same thing together. Yes. You're all like, and so after the festival, we went back to my place, and then we all drank on the living room carpet, cleaned out all my, you know, <laughs> your liquor cabinet, cleaned out my liquor cabinet. Oh. You know, all this, I was like, I've got this. You know, <laughs> one of those things. Like, oh, oh, I don't think I've got anything. Hang on, I've got this. And it's cream de meth. Oh, cream de meth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink it. Drink it like some weird drink, like cream de meth with Prosecco or something. Prosecco's and, not weird, uh, yeah, mate. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's great. But I tried to go on Prosecco for a while. I was like, tired of beer, let's go Prosecco. And it's quite the leap. The headache is, yeah, it is quite the leap. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man, the headache was oh, yeah. impenetrable. Anyway, uh, so... I, I think I've had my best because I don't really go out too much anymore. Mm. Uh, so I reckon the, I'm going to have like start a new festival. Oh. And it's, called, it's called Living Room Festival. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it's just carpet mm-hmm. that we all sit. No chairs. No chairs. No, no, no comfort. You know what I mean? No, just on the floor. No comfort. No floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No cushions. No DJs. Just no. people selecting songs. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's always fun. <laughs> also, yeah, booze can't. Nothing has nothing to be sealed. Oh, it all has to be leftovers, unopened, <laughs> unopened. <laughs> and you just randomly go there, and you're like, "Well, I've got this." You know, I, I reckon that that'll be the best festival ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How many? Uh, yeah, how many people? How many tickets do you sell for the f- festival? Well, you know, you've got to like put a put a put a like a tap on the gronks. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it gets too big, that's when the gronks come in and yeah. it's ruined. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden there's bloody, you know surf shirts and weird you know beanie and singlet combos, which I've never understood. Oh yeah, like 
How can your arms be hot but your head cold? Yeah. I don't understand it. Sorry if I've offended everybody at Triple R, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Call this number. But yeah, let You're me know. You're wearing a beanie. Yeah, it's probably some, probably some very nice person wearing a single and a beanie going, oh, yeah, he's right. <laughs> A 35-year man living in three different chair houses is right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, no, no, actually, that's not a gronk. I don't know what a gronk is. I'm a gronk, you know. I like rugby league. I'm a gronk. Yeah, I know, I know. And because I, I, I talk about it with my nana. We discuss all the players. Oh, yeah, do you? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. so cute. Yeah, she do you yells guys go the for TV. the same team? No, no, she goes for the Broncos. Get oh. out, Nana. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> How could she? <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. So uh, yeah, living room fest, guys. I just want to know who's in. I reckon I can I can get Triple R on board. Yep. I yeah, reckon Triple I R presents. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I reckon I could. I don't know how I could get a in your uh, living room. Um, no, I reckon we should just get a big warehouse, put out some carpet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. And, oh, everyone's got to bring a, a photo of their okay. family with them. <laughs> Why? Why? To make a more living room. <laughs> oh. oh, right. Yeah, and maybe like a... So a framed photo. Yeah, a framed photo. Yeah. Yep. I love, I love the idea of the security guards making people break the seal on their bottle before they go in <laughs> yeah. rather than the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Take a swig. Yeah, take a swig. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's got to have dust on the bottle. Yeah. So you've got it from your, your nan's, you know, uh, liquor cabinet or whatever. You can and finally we... get to the bottom of all those mysterious liqueurs that yeah, yeah, accumulate yeah. in the back of the... Oh, there were some <laughs> weird ones. I, you know when you're like 16 or whatever and you go... Make some rocket you, fuel. Yeah, you make some rocket Drambuie? fuel. Drambuie? Always Drambuie. Oh, oh. yeah. All those ones with yeah. the strange colours, yellow or green or... Who buys, who in their right mind buys a whole bottle of thick <laughs> alcohol to have at home? Right, who goes, you know what, I'm going to buy a whole bottle to have a milk-flavoured alcohol treat. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, but that's the thing, I feel like nobody buys them but everybody has them. Yeah, everybody has them. It's like them. this mystery. Yeah. Well, did, growing up, we only ever had um, Johnny Walker... Red uh, label whiskey, uh, uh, yeah, awesome port. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. It. oh port. Oh, <laughs> port is ruined for me because my my uh, my grandparents had this really old bottle of port that our uncle gave them like twenty years ago. So apparently it was worth a thousand dollars, and apparently apparently port doesn't age. But I don't know why it's worth this much. Anyway, my mum accidentally opened it, <gasps> and she's like, "How would you like some port?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay." And it was the best thing I've ever tasted. Oh. So now I just can't drink port. Your port's <laughs> nothing will ever be as good. Yeah, it's like when I eat. I ate steaks in Argentina, and they were the best steaks ever. So I can't eat another steak now. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just have chicken. <laughs> I don't even want to risk it. <laughs> I'm not a wild man. <laughs> Uh, we should probably let you go. Hey, are you doing a comedy festival show? Yep, I am doing a comedy festival show. Uh, it's called Quantum Bad Boy. I did I did my trial. Don't laugh, Jeff. All right, it's a serious name. No, 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 it's, 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 awesome it's the dumbest name ever. It's, I don't know why. it's not the dumbest name uh, it, ever. It was meant to be just that for the trial show in Brisbane. And then my producer's like, no, stick with it. And I was like, cool. And now, yeah, I don't know. 
you, you don't know who to listen to now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no, it's very good. No, she's very, very good. Um, yeah, but yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, Quantum Bad Boy, it's Belleville. I can't wait to do it. I did my trial last night in oh, front of six it. people with a loud traffic. And it still worked. Oh, People Rupert. still laughed. It was very loud. There was a loud bar, everything. It was very awkward. And I got it to work. So, yeah, come along. Tickets available now. Yeah. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR. 